Well, today we begin a new sermon series called God Questions. God Questions. Everybody asks them. Everybody. Everybody on the planet today, everybody that has ever lived on this planet asks God Questions. We have different reasons for asking them. And boy, we've come up with a lot of different answers in how we've dealt with those God Questions. Some people, when they have that God question, they maybe just ponder on it for a second and maybe never again for the rest of their lives. Others will spend a whole life pondering, meditating, researching, working on these God questions. All kinds of different ways that we handle this. But everybody, everybody has God questions. Is there a God? If there is a God, has he Spoken? Has he revealed himself in a way that, that we can know him? Does he have a plan for my life? Does he know me personally? Why is there evil and suffering? For some reason, we have the idea that clearly if there is a God, then, then evil and suffering is somehow a contradiction of that. How, how do we deal with that? What is God doing in the world? These are God questions. They're in the human soul and our soul yearns for answers. And I'll tell you why. Because I think we know down deep that there is a connection between these high sounding philosophical theological questions and maybe what we might call practical daily questions. You, you may or may not have started this year asking, does God exist? But I'll bet there's people in this room that have begun this year asking questions like, how am I going to pay my bills? Should I leave him? Wouldn't the kids be better off? Should, should we move in together? How are we going to make that decision? What are we going to do next? How are we going to deal with that child? We ask these questions, and did you know that every one of those very different questions has the exact same answer? That's right. Every single one of those very different questions is answered with two words. You, you begin your answer with these two words, and you're on the path to the right answer for every question you're asking today. Every question you'll ask this week. You say, two words? Two words answers everything? That's right. Here they are. Fear God. Fear God. You begin with that answer and you will have the right answer to every question you're asking. Say, fear, how, do, how does fearing God help me pay my bills? Well, first of all, we have to know what the fear of God is. Uh, fear of God is not what you feel at a horror movie. It's not that feeling when somebody jumps out and scares you. Uh, fearing God is living in light of four facts. Four facts. You, you live every day, every decision in light of these four things, and that's the fear of God. Number one, He exists. Number two, He has spoken to everything you're dealing with. Every issue, every question, every decision, every situation. You're, every one, folks, every single one, God has spoken to that. Number three, and you're accountable for what He said. You are responsible for what he has spoken to in that issue, in that question, in that decision. Number four, his way is the way. 
Everything you're doing, you live in light of those four things. That's the fear of God. Now, here's how it produces the right answer. Now, instead of just saying, man, how am I going to pay my bills? I'm saying, man, what does God say? What what does God say about my finances and, and paying my bills? What does God say about leaving my mate? What does God say about moving in together without the, the formal commitment of marriage? What, 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 is, what does God say about the anger and the disappointment and the, and the bitterness that I'm holding on to? Uh, that I'm dealing with each day? What does God say about how to handle that decision? How to make decisions? What does God say about my child? Folks, that that becomes the defining question of our lives. What does God say? And when you realize that, boy, you would not believe how clear that makes everything. Because all of a sudden, all the other voices, the voices at school, the voices at work, the voices in the media, man, nothing could be utterly more irrelevant than what they have to say. One thing counts. Fear God. What did he say? And somebody said, well, I thought thought the most important thing was to glorify God. If you fear God, you will glorify Him. Every time. It's impossible to be living in light of the existence of God and what He said and not glorify Him. Fear God. Now, here's our problem. We don't want to fear God. I don't want to live in light of His existence. don't want to live in light of what He has said. I want to sleep with who I want to sleep with and when I want to sleep with them. I, I want to hold on to my anger. I I want to hold on uh, to my bitterness. I want to make decisions in light of the most important thing in life, me. I want to spend my money in light of the most important thing in life, me. I want to do what I want to do. We want our sin. Folks, think about it. Even those of us in here, you know, the body of faith, the people of God, we, we believe in God, we believe He spoke to these things. Think about it. We reject different things He has said. We ignore different things that he has said. And a lot of us are really, really comfortable just living in utter ignorance of anything he has said. As if somehow that absolves us from any responsibility about what he has said. We want our sin. Now, we want our sin, but you know what we don't want? We don't want the guilt that comes with sin. We want to get rid of that feeling. And so man, in an attempt to dismiss guilt, has figured out, you know what I really need to do? I just need to dismiss God. No God, no guilt. Folks, that is what is leading people to live as if there's no God. It is not science. There is absolutely nothing in science that demands the conclusion that God does not exist. There's nothing. We started with the idea that God does not exist, and then we went into the evidence to make it say that. We went to the geological record, the biological record, the astronomical record, and we looked at that, interpreted it to say God does not exist. We manipulate the evidence. And you know what, folks? Honestly, they could probably turn that same statement around on me, on us, and say, well, you're looking at all of the evidence to say there is a God. Uh, Yeah, I am. Because I think that's the safest bet. We're going to look at that in a moment. Okay? But there's nothing in science that demands the conclusion that God does not exist. There's nothing there. It's a desire. It is a desire to dismiss guilt, not deal with the data that has led us to the conclusion that there is no God. Science just kind of helped us have a way of sounding real smart about it. 
You know, and they have been so effective at that that you and I, a people of faith, we're now almost really, I mean, think about it, we're afraid. We're afraid to go into the marketplace. We're afraid to go somewhere and say, hey, God exists. And I don't know what all the confusion about this issue is because God has spoken to this issue. Well, we're not going to say that because we might, we might sound stupid. I would imagine almost every person in this room has had that thought. If I say something here, I'll sound, I'll sound stupid. But, but what is stupid? You know, do you know the Bible actually addresses what is stupid? Psalm 14.1 says, The fool, not the intelligent person, not the one who's dealt with the evidence, the one who's dealt with the data. It is the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. Folks, the smartest thing you can do Okay, I'm not even talking about what we can prove or disprove or can you answer this question or that question or can you win this debate? I'm saying the smartest thing to do is to take your next step as if there's a God. Until you research and study and continue to develop and work with all the evidence out there to keep taking a step as if there is a God is the smartest thing you can do. And the most loving thing you can do is help somebody else do the same. You realize every person in this room gave advice this week? We're all really good at it too, aren't we? I mean, I don't know. Anybody gives better advice than me. You all get, you, you, you told somebody, uh, your child, a parent, a friend, you said, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I think you should do that. Or here's what I think you should do. Or no, you shouldn't. You all give advice. Do you realize when you're giving advice that if it's not directly connected, not kind of, sort of, if it's not directly connected to fear God, then your advice at best is worthless. At worst, your advice could be potentially very destructive. Now, if everything I'm saying is tied to fear God, then that means at, a, at least at a very elementary level, I need to have a very strong faith that God exists And I need to have some ability to be able to communicate and share the existence of God with others. So you see our title today. The question is, this is the the first God question we're dealing with. Does God exist? Now what I'm going to do in the next 18 minutes is give you three things that you can walk into every classroom, deal with every person, make them look utterly foolish, tear them down. They're going to be crying, saying they're sorry. You'll look brilliant. People will applaud you. They'll carry you on. You're the smartest person I've ever... No, I'm I'm not going to do that in 18 minutes. As a matter of fact, I'm not even going to do that in six sermons. You ready for this, folks? It takes more than that. It it, it takes a little more effort than, than just sitting and listening for a few moments. Okay? But God wants us to love Him with our brain. Did you know that? God is not glorified. The call to faith is not a call to be stupid. It's not a call to hear something and say, oh, okay, I accept that. I'm not going to develop it any. I just kind of accept that. No, folks, God wants us to give our lives to studying, to researching, to learning, to using our brain to know Him. And what I'm going to do is try to give you three reasons why that's the next best step to take. Before I do that, look inside your bulletin. I have given you, uh, uh, to hopefully what today's message does is inspire a desire to learn a little bit more. I've put in here a couple of books under these faith talk questions. If you look in the, what is that, left-hand corner of your bulletin? Bottom left-hand corner under the, the faith talk questions there, there's some recommended reading. There's a couple of books that I, I think are, would be good at strengthening uh, your faith 
strengthening your faith in the existence of God and how you continue to develop that, and probably also will be effective in helping you learn to communicate and share that with others, because that's the most loving thing you can do. Do you realize if your love never addresses their relationship with God, then you really don't love them. Your love is very shallow. Your love is very temporary. The most loving thing you can do is connect somebody to God and help them start living in light of that. So I suggest those readings for you. What I want to give you today is three pieces of evidence, three proofs that suggest, you know what, the smartest thing I can do is live in light of the existence of God. I'm not giving you three pieces of evidence that answer all questions that could be brought up, that deal with all issues, that deal with all struggles. I'm not giving you that. I'm saying that as you seek to answer questions, as you deal with the the issues, as you deal with the evidence, the data, the science, the best way to proceed into that is with a belief in the existence of God. Three things that say that's the smartest thing to do. Number one, the universe. You see, that proves God, don't you? It's a simple question. Who put it there? You, you, you know what? You ask that question all the time. You walk in, you see something on the floor, especially if you have children. There was always something on the floor. And moms continually ask, who put that there? Now, if your child is a scientist and a, a, a brilliant scholar, the child's going to say, well, mom, you're, you're quite stupid. Nobody, nobody put that there. It just happened. Folks, that is actually the faith of our scientists. And notice I use the word faith, okay? Scientists have kind of slanted the debate so that if you're religious, you know, we're using the word faith. And faith is, you know, that's the stuff that that myths and fairy tales and things that make you comfortable at night when there's real no hard evidence, hard data to deal with. You know, that's faith. But, But scientists, they're dealing with data, with evidence, with facts. And, and you'll have people out there say, man, how, how do you believe when the facts seem to suggest something else? Well, folks, the, the facts don't necessarily suggest something else. Scientists have faith too. They have what's called, we call it faith, they call it presuppositions. You won't see that word, you won't see it in your textbooks. They won't tell you, now here is our presupposition. Uh, our presupposition is that there is no God. I can't prove that, but that's our presupposition. Our our presupposition is all of this, it just happened. Now, you can't observe that anywhere in the created order. If I came in here, folks, and said, you know what? I came in here this morning, and that watch was laying there. Well, I don't know what's a watch. It just happened, but it's just laying there. Now, you're not going to believe that it was just laying there. You're going to say, who put it there, right? I'm going to say, well, nobody put it there. As a matter of fact, I was here very late last night. I locked up and, and, and I came in here and I saw that. So I went to the security cameras and, and nobody entered the building. Nobody was going in and out. This just happened. And I can tell you how it happened. Last night, the electricity went down at 117. And at 124, it came back on and there was a power surge. And at the exact moment, the exact millisecond of that power surge, all the dust in the room was in the exact right spot. The the humidity, it couldn't be off by any. The humidity was at the exact right place. And and the pressure in the room. And when that electricity hit all that, boom, this just happened. That was the product of that. Now that's crazy. We wouldn't believe that about any, any, a rock. Wouldn't believe that about a rock. But this, I come up here and say, this this, didn't happen. 
Man, look at me. It's got colors to it, and it, there's something going around and around. It, it seems to have some kind of purpose or be communicating something. And look, it, it kind of connects. There's, there's too much design to this to be something that just happened. And yet we look out there at an entire universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, and gravity, and how that all works together in the exact and right and perfect distance between the sun and the, and the, and the earth. We look at the, the human eye. That, that incredible organ, that incredibly complex organ, the human eye, all of this. And we say, it just happened. That's our faith. That's the faith of the scientists. It just happened. Now, it is incredibly improbable that it would just happen. And we're not able to observe that anywhere. And so now what scientists need, this is their second presupposition. The data did not say this. This was their presupposition. If I'm going to have something really impossible happen, something that's like one of a bazillion, gazillion chances of happening, then I need a bazillion, gillion amount of time for it to happen. And so it was with the desire to see a universe that was tens of billions of years old so this incredibly impossible thing could happen. That's how they went to the geological record and began to interpret it that way. The data does not demand an old universe. It doesn't demand that. There was a presupposition another presupposition okay there is no god uh we've got tens of billions of years and you've got to have the first cause i I mean mean, nothing doesn't produce something there's got to be something out there that produced all this okay they believe in matter what's matter it's just you know rock and goo it's just stuff matter matter is what is eternal and this eternal matter produced everything Now, granted, when you look out there in the universe, nowhere can you see nothingness producing something. Can you see something without order, without intelligence, without design, produce something of order and intelligence and design? But that's the faith you're called to have. And if you don't have that faith, you're considered stupid. But now, I'm dumb because I believe that the first cause of everything was an intelligent being. That brought order and purpose. It, because that's all I can observe in the, in the universe. Is that order produces order. Design produces design. Intelligence produces intelligence. So that's our faith. Okay, So I just think that the smartest thing, the smartest next step. To, can I answer all questions? Can I prove everything? Just standing here at the coffee pot for five minutes? No, not necessarily. But the smartest step would be as if God exists. Now this argument, the universe, doesn't prove the Judeo-Christian God. It doesn't prove the God of the Bible. It just says there's, there is a God, uh, a, an intelligent God that designed and put all this here. And the burden is on you to now understand what that God is revealing about himself. And that's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1 Verse 20 says, from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through the Grand Canyon, being understood through the sun and the moon and the stars, being understood through all of those fish and their colors and all those butterflies and birds and all of those colors. You look out there and you have to say, who put that there? So that, if you don't ask that question, you're without excuse. Because people will stand before God and say, God, I just, I I couldn't believe. 
That sounded a lot like fairy tales to me and myths and the, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. The evidence just wasn't there. The hard science wasn't there. Really, I gave you a brain. And your brain always looked at everything on the planet and said, who put it there? But when it's the whole, all of a sudden you just believe it happened, you're guilty of stupidity. The universe. Why do I believe in a God? Who put it there? Second reason I believe in God is because of right and wrong. Who put that there? Where did right and wrong come from? You know, if you're sticking with just a, a biology model, it, it just all happened and, and the single cell ended up producing everything on this planet that's alive. Okay? That does not explain where right and wrong came from. Biology can't answer that. There is a common, universal, through the human community, moral code. Uh, yeah, we have different values from, you know, from one culture to another culture or from one time period to another time period. But there is a common agreement across the board about what is right and wrong. And you don't even have to teach it. Have you noticed every child that has ever lived? I think I can say this. I can't be far off. Every child that's ever lived, and they say it really young. They at some point will end up without ever being taught this, without ever being told this. They will say, that's not, that's not fair. That's not fair. And of course, if they're in my house, it doesn't have to be fair. It just has to be me. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother message. But what, biology does not explain how a person utters the phrase, that's not fair. That's not fair implies Somewhere there is a, a code of what is just in this moment. Somewhere there's a code of what would be right in this moment. Where did that come from? Well, you know, come on, as we evolved and we got smarter, we just decided that, you know, to get along, you know, we would be, we just kind of came. Well, that, that really is falling short. Plus, if you stop and think about it, the single driver of the evolutionary model is survival of the fittest, isn't it? Folks, survival of the fittest is a contradiction to a moral code. Survival of the fittest says, I will do whatever is necessary to survive. And if that's rape, kill, and steal, then so be it. You can't call it wrong. It's survival. Where does right and wrong come from? An evolutionary model cannot answer that question. Gee, you know, I don't know if I can answer all your questions about right and wrong and suffering and evil, but it, it seems like our soul almost demands this. It seems like our, our next step to take would be one that assumes there's a moral code giver. <laughs> there is a standard bearer of what is right and wrong. Third reason that I believe in a God. Now, the first two, the universe, who put it there? The moral code, who gave it? They don't, they don't say who or what that God is, what his name might be. They just say, you know what, that really is the best, smartest path to go. The third one kind of helps us hone in and focus. Third piece of evidence, notice the word I use, third piece of evidence, the third reason I believe in God is the person, the historical figure of Jesus Christ. He claimed to be God. Now, for us sitting in here today, that kind of wraps it up, doesn't it? Jesus said he was God. We believe he's God. So case closed. Now, obviously, for people that you and I are talking to out in the world, in the classroom, over the coffee pot, you know, they don't necessarily believe in the Bible. They don't believe in the person of Christ. So saying, well, Jesus. 
But folks, there's a lot of historical evidence, there's a lot of historical data that goes with this person of Christ you got to deal with. It's not smart to say, oh, I just don't accept that. You can say that, but that's stupid. You're not dealing with the evidence of his life. You know, some people say Jesus never actually claimed to be God. And they are, and so many of these people when they're addressing this are speaking completely and totally from their ignorance. They're not only ignorant of what Scripture says, which I excuse them for because I know they don't believe in Scripture. They're not looking at that. They're, they're ignorant of history, though. Okay? Because history, Roman writings, verify for us that the person of Jesus Christ existed. That's a historical fact. It's a historical fact that he was reported. Whether you believe it or not, it was reported he did miracles. Whether you believe it or not, it is historical fact he was executed on a cross. It's also a historical fact why he was executed on that cross. Because he claimed to be king of the Jews, the Messiah, the very Son of God. You can say, well, I don't believe that. Yeah, you can say that, but you can't deny he said it. He claimed to be God. It is also historical fact that there is the report of his resurrection. That people said they saw the resurrected Christ. They said, well, I don't buy that. I don't believe that. But you can't deny it happened. It did happen. Now, in light of all that, what are you doing with all that? Saying, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. That's silly. You're ignoring the evidence. Now, you may look at the evidence and say, well, I still don't believe. Okay, but to do nothing, that's not smart. What is the evidence of Christ's life? Well, he, he claimed to be God. Now, that in and of itself doesn't prove anything, does it? I mean, there's a lot of people that claim to be God. We usually have a special place for them, don't we? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know what? What do you do with Jesus' claim to be God? I mean, there, there's two options here. Either he is or he isn't, right? Okay, if he's not God, why did he say he was God? Well, there's two reasons. One, he's crazy, okay, and we've got a special place for him. Or he's lying. He, he purposely was deceiving, and that's, that's a very believable option. I mean, you know, people lie, people deceive, they like to get a following, you know, hey, look at me, look at, I'm God, you know, follow me as God. So he's either crazy or he's lying. But what about the evidence? Does the evidence of his life suggest that we're dealing with a liar, that, that we're dealing with a crazy person? You know, it's, it's interesting, even if you don't believe in Christ, you look at the world religions they all study the person of Jesus. They may not accept him as God, but they accept him as a great teacher. And, and, and universally, his teachings are accepted as a way, as a path to a life of peace, a life of contentment, a life of balance, a life of joy. It's interesting that a crazy person gave us all that. I mean, folks, think of the crazy people in your life. Do you have some? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You want an alphabetical order or by, you know, a social security number? Folks, I've got crazy people in my life and they do not show me, they do not speak of a life of contentment and peace and joy. They are never a picture of balance. Okay, Jesus was. Okay, so if, if I'm going to just say, oh, he's a crazy guy, that's not what the evidence suggests. Okay, well then he was lying. Man, you know, you got a guy here whose whole life was about what is true, what is right, and what is just whole life was about what is true and right and just. Even his enemies could never point out a place where he was lying. Even his enemies couldn't point out a place where, where he did something that was unjust, unfair. I mean, folks, some of us, I mean, we're pretty good people. 
And, and our family and our friends would say, we're, man, you're a good person. You're a kind. But you've still, even the best of us in here, we've done something that's not, not quite just, not quite right, not quite fair. Isn't it interesting, this whole person whose life was based on a lie and deception produced nothing but what was true and just and right. Now, you can say, well, I, I don't know if I understand all your... Yeah, there's more to study. There's more to understand. But just with that piece of evidence right there makes it pretty hard to say the guy was lying or the guy's crazy. Well, that leads us over here to this option that he was telling the truth. That he actually is God. But that's, come on, our common sense just doesn't say people are God. I mean, is there any evidence that would suggest that? Well, here again, there is historical evidence, whether you believe it or not, that says he did miracles. I mean, if, if a person's going to be God, I'd like to think they had more power than me, wouldn't you? That will be able to do something special. Okay, yeah, it was reported he did miracles. Walked on walk. Water healed people. If, if, if a man is going to be God, I'd like him to be smart, wouldn't you? He's got to be smarter than me. I sure haven't figured everything out. And we look at here again at the life and teachings of Christ, and there seems to be, man, that, that's perfect wisdom. <laughs> there, there seems to be an all-knowing nature to what, what he is communicating. You know, and then, of course, maybe there's the greatest piece of evidence, his resurrection. Jesus Christ conquered the grave. Well, now, wait a minute. Now you're getting into the fairy tale part again. I mean, you can't prove that. Remember, it's historical fact that he was crucified. It's a historical fact that the body was missing. What happened to the body? Yeah, well, there's a variety of things. Uh, the Romans could have stole it. Now, there's no motive, and they could have ended all this trouble about that, that, uh, that the, the report of Jesus' resurrection was causing by producing a body, couldn't they? Uh, well, the Jews could have stole it. Ah, here again, no motive, and it was especially causing them trouble. Produce the body. Okay, grave robbers could have taken it. Yeah, because, you know, as an earthly man, Jesus had so much, so much on him all the time. You know, so much money, so much food. Yeah. Now, what would you be robbing? And, and, and here again, if I really wanted to get rich, okay, I stole his body. Ah, there was nothing on it. Okay, so I tossed the body aside. And folks, immediately this story of his resurrection gets going and the Romans are going nuts and the, the Jews are going nuts. Hey, I go, get a, I go get an appointment with the high priest. I go get a, uh, an appointment with the centurion. Hey, I know all this trouble that's being caused by the report. What would you pay me if I could produce the body? Folks, if anybody knows where this body is, if anybody has access to this body, they've got access to getting wealthy real quick. Uh, some say, well, you know what? I, I mean, I heard this one. This is the dumbest one, but it's out there. He never died. He, he didn't die on the cross. He just passed out. Obviously, he was in pretty bad shape. And when they put him into the tomb and, you know, the cool air, he revived. Now, remember, he hasn't eaten. This is Sunday morning. It, he hasn't eaten since Thursday. He's gone through, if not all of the blood loss in his body. He's got to be right there at the, at the very end. I mean, I just gave blood this morning. They only took a pint. I, I'm guessing Jesus gave a lot more than a pint. Okay? He's got no blood. He's very dehydrated. Uh, body absolutely mangled, but he got up and he moved a several ton stone, uh, conquered several Roman guards, and then appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses and gave them the belief, not that he had survived. Okay, you can look like you survived. His look was that he had conquered the grave, that he had conquered death. And this was just from... Friday afternoon to the Sunday morning, he was able to give this appearance. If that's your faith, that doesn't sound very smart. Folks, the body's missing. What happened to it? 
What do you do with 500 eyewitnesses? What do you do with the changed lives? The disciples were fearful. They were in hiding. They had an event. They saw something and all of a sudden they're afraid of nothing. And they're willing to give their lives. They were beaten. They were arrested multiple times. Ultimately, almost all of them gave their lives. They could have kept from being killed. All they just say is, Jesus, I didn't see him. But they didn't. Why? Why would they die? If they took the body, why would they die for what they knew to be a lie? You know, folks, all of a sudden, the only option we're left is, man, what if this guy really rose again? Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, was established as the powerful Son of God by His resurrection. You know what? If Jesus Christ conquered death, that kind of changes well, everything, doesn't it? I mean, I, I really don't need to study all the religions of the world right now to figure out which one is right. I really don't need to pursue a concept of if there's a God. If this guy conquered the grave and he said there's a God, I'm going with that. If this guy conquered the grave and he said I am the way to that God, I'm going with that. Think of the things that, that Jesus said and how it changes his words. If he conquered the grave, he said, I and the Father are one. Okay, I'm trying to figure out who God is. I'm trying to figure out is Jesus God? Well, if he conquered the grave, that kind of changes the value of that sentence, doesn't it? If I am the resurrection of life, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Wanting to know how to live? Access to eternal life? What about, if you love me, you will keep my commandments? You know what that verse is synonymous with? Fear God. Fear God. If you, if you believe in me, if you're living in light of my existence, if you love me, then you're going to live in light of my words. You're going to obey my words. Now, we're going to deal with this as a whole sermon. But, folks, if Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he said, you know what, no one comes to the Father except through me, I don't need to study a whole bunch more, do you? I mean, that, that really kind of settles the issue. How do I get to God? Jesus said, through me. And I conquered the grave. You know, I think I'm going to try that way. So I'm standing at the coffee pot. In the classroom, talking to a friend. At the dinner table with a, a family member. I, you know what, I, I just can't do that God thing. I mean, look at all the, all the evidence, man. Look at all the, the science. That just seems to be a contradiction to say that you believe in God. Well, you know, really the truth is, science is lying to you in some of the things it presents as facts. It is actual lies to present as facts. Theories, yes, but facts, no. And, and as I'm weighing the evidence, as I look out there at the universe, you know, who put it there? When you see something, you always assume somebody put it there. How do you not look at the entire universe and say, who put it there? You wouldn't believe it just happened anywhere else in your life. And what about right and wrong? Where did that come from? What about the person of Jesus Christ? You may not understand all he said or why he said or may not have a, a good grasp on what you believe about him. But there's a lot of historical evidence that says, I really need to give some time and attention here. You know what? I don't know if I can answer all your questions. I don't know if I can answer them good. I don't know if I can answer them so you don't have any more questions. But I tell you what, when I look at who put it here, who gave us this code, and I look at the life of Christ, I can't help but think, you know, the smartest thing I can do, whether I've got all the evidence or not, the smartest thing I can do is take my next step as if there's a God. And that next step would include finding out what did he say? I might ought to live in light of it. Smartest thing to do is live in light of the existence of God. Most loving thing you can do is help somebody else do the same. Let's pray.
Father, we come before you this morning, and uh, God, we confess, we confess a, a comfortableness with a shallowness in our faith. You know, Lord, I, I, I think in some ways a simple faith is what we strive after. I believe. You tell us it is the faith of a child, which is synonymous with simplicity. A simple faith can bring us to eternal life. But you gave us a brain. And you never implied that a simple faith should be synonymous with a stupid faith. You've given great evidence to who you are, to what you've said, to how you've worked in the world. You've given great evidence of your existence. And you've put us here, God, to be your witnesses. And we've just kind of stood back and said nothing because we didn't, we didn't want the world to think we're dumb. God, we're sorry for that. And I, and I pray for myself. I, I, I pray for all of us in here, God, that even if we believe in you, that we're continually motivated to, to stretch that belief, to grow that be, belief, to strengthen that belief. And God, may we desire to do that so ultimately we can communicate that belief. We can share it with that friend that's hurting. That, that, that family member that is searching. God, I want you to be able to do that through me. God, we want you to be able to do that through us, through this church. Oh God, may this be a place that clearly gives the witness. There is a God. He has spoken. God, strengthen our faith. Help us communicate our faith. Because you're real. And the call to you is real. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen.